Well, it's good to be with you, and uh, this morning excited to continue in our series. We're going to take a pause next week during Easter through our book of Romans, but this morning we're going to do one more stretch here in Romans 13. And as you see from the, the screen here, we're actually tackling a topic that might be maybe relevant today, my response to the government. Huh. If I didn't uh, pick a, a more controversial topic between uh, religion and politics, we've got both covered here this morning. But this morning, I, I'm going where the text is taking us. If you want to flip in your Bibles there to Romans 13, we're going to be in verses 1 through 7. I don't know for you what comes to mind when I just say the word government. What is it? What, what's the first thing that comes to mind you don't have to say, I'm getting a lot of taxes here, but uh, you, don't, you don't have to say it. Uh, probably, unfortunately, a lot of times the thing that comes to mind when we're talking about government are usually so to do with negative things or things that we might deem as negative. In fact, I was reading uh, this this week, I was re- looking at a chart that someone had shared uh, that was showing the percentage of times our current presidential candidates lie. Showing that one candidate, in fact, was known for lying 96% of the time. Like, wow. I said, I don't, I don't know the accuracy of this chart, although I did find it on the internet. <laughs> but I do know that it shows that there's an epidemic distrust for those who are in authority. And for us as Christ followers, it's easy for us to get sucked in thinking that maybe our call is to oppose and to criticize those who are in authority, and we get pulled right along with the rest of the crowd. But is that really what God's Word calls us to? I think this morning we're going to discover as we, as we break down these verses that what God has called us to is a little bit less than maybe what we've deemed is the appropriate response, a little bit different than maybe what comes natural to us. So I want to just start by just praying before we dive in and see what God's Word does say to do. God, we thank you so much for this chance to be together, and I thank you how this book, after a couple thousand years, still speaks to things that are so relevant even today. I pray this morning that you would directly address us, that you'd speak to us what you want us to to, to do and how you want us to respond to government. God, we, we have some ideas of what we think is appropriate. But as I see in Scripture, so often you call us to something different, something, something that the, the world stands back and says, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Pray this morning that you would speak to us, that we wouldn't have it all figured out already in our minds, that we'd be open to maybe what you think or how you think differently. We invite you now to speak to us in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So starting in chapter 13, let's try to have our eyes on this, whether it's on a, on a phone, whether it's on a Bible, but it's important to follow along. The first verse starts with a, with a pretty strong charge. It says, let every person be subject to, to the governing authorities. We'll pause there because there's a lot already said in that. First thing you notice is every person, so nobody gets to sneak by. In fact, tell the person next to you that he's talking about you. Tell the person next to you he's talking about you, because you qualify as every person. And so what, what is he saying for every person to do? To be subject. Be subject. What does that actually mean? Obviously, involved in being subject, there's a, an obedience piece. 
But there's also, if you're, ra- if you're raising kids, you understand that being subject also involves an attitude piece. Anyone ever have your child that you ask them to do something and they say, fine, then they stomp off and they go to do whatever you ask them. You're like, wait a second, uh-uh. No, there, there's, a, there's a double piece to this. There's both action and there's attitude. So for us, maybe some of us are like, yeah, I get the, the, the action part of this. But the attitude part is the part that maybe needs to be stretched, a muscle, side, a muscle that hasn't been used maybe in quite a while. It's something that doesn't come very natural to us. Our natural tendency, even since the fall, is to resist authority. That's how we, how we typically respond. But he's called us to be subject to who? It says to the governing authorities. In other words, those who govern us politically. Submission to talking about other authorities is talked about elsewhere, but this passage is primarily just speaking about how we respond to those in political authority over us. So it tells us to be subject to them. I think when you first read this, you're like, but does Paul take into account a government that we don't agree with or we might have some objection to some of the things. Do you, do you think he is? Let's think about that time period and who he's writing to. It's a group of, of churches in Rome underneath Roman rule. At that time, the emperor was Nero, who is known for being one of the most unjust, most self what's the right word, a proud person, you, you can imagine. In fact, it was a time period where slavery flourished. It, it, was a, it was a time period of imperial arrogance. It was a time period of absolute ri- rulers, dictators that were dictators for life. This is the time period he's speaking to. Heavy taxes, a tax system that was overly abused, uh, taxes that the, the person that collecting, they were free to keep anything that they could get over and above what the government required. So complete chaos in their tax system. And so that's the audience that he's writing to. And you think to yourself, man, it sounds like things were even worse then than now. Yes, they were, in fact. So there, that's the audience. So, so he's taking this into account as he's making this charge. It's not a one-time charge. Sometimes people with Scripture are like, maybe that was just misquoted. Maybe we're just misinterpreting it. But it's, it's throughout the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.13 says, uh, this is Peter speaking, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And Paul again in Titus says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, he talks about, hey, this is our, our charge is to pray for those who are in leadership. That's our response that we're given charge to. So this isn't a, a one-time statement. So if you came to ABF thinking that you would be a part of a governmental revolt led by John Irwin, it's not happening. It, it, it's not happening. That's not what we're about. He calls us to be subject to the governing authorities. That was probably hard for them to hear at that time, much like it's probably hard for us to hear right now. Even Jesus' disciples, just before Jesus was leaving, they asked him, they said in Acts 1-6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, will you fix that which is broken? But you see, the issue was, Jesus was coming to fix that which was broken, and it wasn't government. You see, government is just a reflection of the the problem, which is us. 
were the problem. That's who he came to fix. And so he submitted himself to authority. He was willingly the example when we're like, how could he call us to do that? You're like, because he did himself. To the ultimate authority, even being hung on a Roman cross. So he calls us to submit as well. Question a lot of times, believers, when they're reading this, they ask the question, is there ever a time that we don't have to submit? Is there ever a time that we don't have to submit? Have you ever wondered that before? Is there a time? There's a perfect example of that picture. In Acts 5.29, you see, when earthly authority conflicts with divine authority, we're not obligated to obey. You see, submission usually, but not always, results in obedience. I'll say that again. Submission usually but not always results in obedience. When we're called to do something that is in direct contrast to what Christ calls us to do, for instance, there in, in, in Acts 5.29, Peter and John are told, hey, you need to stop talking about Jesus. Just shut up about it. Stop it. Stop talking about him. And they're like, sorry, what do they say? We must obey God rather than man. Like, sorry, we can't do anything about that because we were told specifically to go and make disciples, and you can't do that being silent about Jesus Christ. So they respond to that. In other words, those of us were called to be obedient until it actually opposes what God's commands are. I was talking to a woman after a church service, and she was coming to me, and she was teared up, and she was really broken in her, her job. She was a school teacher. She's talking about a kid that she's been dealing with and his experience, and he was just in a real low place, and she's saying how depressed he was. He's even cutting himself, just a bad situation. She's just like, it's so hard because I'm not allowed to bring up anything about Jesus, and I know that would solve all of his problems, and I'm just like, say it anyway. Do it anyway. Speak the truth. God will work it out. You know, there's times that there is that we are called to be disobedient, and you're like, oh no, I hope this isn't being recorded. Yeah, that's, that's the truth. When it opposes God's law, we are invited to that. But if you think about it, even while you can still have a spirit of submission and not obey. You think about Daniel when he was asked. Do you remember when Daniel was asked to bow to the, the, the idols at that time? Like He's like, he's like sorry, i got to keep praying. I can't do that. I can't, I can't obey this, this law. But he even disobeyed with the spirit of submission. He even disobeyed with the spirit of submission. He didn't raise a revolt. He didn't use his authority and his, uh, his power. He was a head honcho in the, the, the system there. He didn't use that. He just said, you know what? I'm going to do this because I know I have to do this. But then I'm going to submit to the law of the land. He willingly went, even knowing that it would lead to his death. He didn't obey, but he still submitted. So we're to obey everything even the stuff we don't like, unless it is in direct opposition to God's word. And if we're honest with ourselves, as much as we want to make it sound like there's all these things that we're told to do that are in direct opposition, there's really not that much. There's really not. Like, like Rack, uh, try to bring to mind which things that we're specifically told to do. Now, there's a lot of things that are permitted that we don't agree with, right? 
And that's where we use some of the things that are in our system to say like, hey, I, this doesn't mean that just because I'm submitting to authority doesn't mean that I'm just sitting silently by, by the side while all this terrible stuff is happening. Man, we're in a system where you have the freedom of speech, you, can, you, you have a vote, you have opportunities to be a part of programs, to oppose. I mean, there's so much injustice that's been brought down because of believers taking their responsibility seriously. If you think about this, knowing that you have to submit should make us the people that are the absolute most involved with politics. Because you're like, man, I know I have to submit, so I want to make sure that I'm educated. I want to be there on the day that we're voting. I wanna, would love 100% participation to be educated, be seeking the Lord on who He's prompting you to be voting for, even in this coming election. So it doesn't mean to hide in, in a corner, but we're called to be salt and light. We're critical in campaigns against injustice. But we also, and I want to I make sure we emphasize this, we also have to be wise and choose our battle, battles strategically. We have to choose them strategically because so often we have this, believe our call as, as Christians is behavior modification. That we're trying so hard to restore morality to a culture that isn't following Jesus. We're putting the cart before the horse. Our job is to introduce people to Jesus Christ, and he changes them from the inside out. Otherwise, it's not lasting change. So often, we're trying to alter people's behavior, and you're like, yeah, but they're not even interested in following Jesus. Introduce them to Jesus first, and he'll change. Make sure we're, we're chasing down the right battles. Does that make sense, what I'm describing there? So there, that's the, the, the call that we're first introduced to. Our primary role is introducing people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, but we're still called to submit. And he goes in the rest of the, the section here in these seven verses to point out reasons why we submit. The first one we're going to see in the second half of the verse there, the idea that civil authority is established by God. It says, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Ooh, that's a lot being said there. If you actually think about that statement, that, that, that it's uh, some of us, this basis for this argument is exactly what we needed to hear this morning, that this is all, in fact, underneath God's sovereign reign. In other words, there's nothing happening right now that God's like, oh, shoot, what are we going to do? Like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, this is complete pandemonium. And he's like, no. There's nothing that isn't under God's sovereign reign. And some of us here this morning needed to hear that. Because some of us has got, have gotten caught up in this whole political thing and we've gotten panicked and, and fearful. And what are we going to do? And what's the next year going to look like if this person's elected? And, and what's going to happen here? And it got the, the reminder that Paul says, listen, whoever's in authority is there because I put them in authority. Let that sink in. Allow that to, to simmer. I know I've gotten sucked into it, but this is a, a trust exercise that we understand that he put them there. This is a reoccurring theme throughout Scripture. Do you remember Jesus in his discussion with Pilate when Pilate's like, don't you understand I have the power to kill you right now? And Jesus is like, no, any power you have is because why? It was given to you. Because it was given to you. Daniel talks about this as well. It says in Daniel 4, 17, The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. The lowliest of men. Daniel 2, 21 says, He, referring to God, removes kings 
and sets up kings. So don't be confused thinking that there's something that's happening that's outside of his control. So, so in other words, there's some deductions that you need to come to from this. The first one, if you think about it, is if God put authorities in place, submission to that authority is an expression of our submission to God. If God put the authority in place, submission to that authority is an expression of our submission to God. And on the opposite end of that, resistance to government is rebelling against God. Whoa, wait a second. There's three institutions God put in place. He put together three institutions, primary ones, marriage, church, and government. Those are the primary institutions he put in place. That's what it specifically says. And as much as we want to say we're frustrated with the government, the truth is government is a mercy from God. Can you imagine the chaos without any kind of a system of, of government in place? Like look in the Middle East right now. Even a bad government that's removed is still worse than no government. You see, the, the truth is, is it's God's kindness that he's put in place. Anybody growing up read that, that, uh, that book called Lord of the Flies? Anybody still a little bit haunted by that, that book? Like you're, you, see the, you see what happens when there's not authority, when there's not structure in place. It, it spirals down pretty quickly. So it's God's mercy being given to us. But that doesn't mean that government isn't abused. That doesn't mean that government isn't abused. Amen to that? You guys are like, all of a sudden, we're Pentecostal. And, uh, and, 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 so, and so here's the, 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 re, the reminder for us that even though it's abused, God still says he ordains it. He put it in place, yet he still hung on a Roman cross, remember? And all of his disciples but one were martyred. So, so, so for this, you're just like, man, why does he? A lot of us have to ask the question, then why does God ordain wicked rulers? Don't you ever wonder that? Why does God let people in a position that they're like, man, that, that person's so terrible. Like, why are they in that spot? The truth is, this is another trust, trust exercise. God determines government that suits his purposes. See, in the Old Testament, sometimes a consequence for a nation that has rejected God Sometimes, in fact, often through the Old Testament, as you watch the change in government, and there's very rarely is there a good king, it's almost always a bad king, and it's almost always because of what? The people rejecting the, the God that should be an ultimate authority. So for that, when you're like, why does he allow that? It might be an extension of consequences for our choices. And if you think also that it's also government often reflects the culture it represents. I'll say that again. Government often reflects the culture that it represents. Overspending, declining morals, idol worship, rejection of God. Hmm, how about that? Often reflects the culture it represents. But still, like he modeled, called to submit because he put it in place. The other point that he points to in verse 2, there's consequences if we don't. It says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities Resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good, contact, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, 
For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. A lot said there, but you get the big idea. The idea, the, the first thing that you notice is that government is established to, to, to reward that which is good and to punish that which is bad. Some governments do a great job of this, other governments not so great. But that's the, that's the design. This is talking about us as a people, how to respond to government. There's plenty of other passages that speak directly to how government should play out. But that's a good synopsis, to reward the good, punish the bad. If you think about it, it's pretty consistent with what we're called to be as a Christ follower. Remember last week when we described that? We were described to overcome evil with good. That was the text that we were in last week. And you're like, oh, that's kind of complementary to each other. Exactly. Reward the good, punish the bad. That's the, if you're going to break it down to the most simplest forms, that's the invitation for government. But the, what, what does he say to, to do there? He says, if you don't, those who resist will incur judgment. In other words, God supports consequences that come through the government. He uses them as his tool. He describes them, I think it's fascinating there, describes them as God's servants, for he is God's servant for your good. Do you think that's maybe news to some of the people in politics right now in government to find out, wait, wait a second, you're God's servant. Whether they're, they know it or not, that doesn't change the fact that that's reality. Because why? He put them there. He put them there. He put them in that position. For us to understand that, that they're God's servant, and he doesn't, and he says what the, the, the purpose is, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Remember last week we were charged, we said, man, we're not to repay evil with evil. God is in charge of the whole revenge piece, and you're like, oh, well, that's a tool, that's an instrument that he uses for that. He uses human government to execute his will. So for us to remember that, and then he gives one last practical thing in, in that little section there. He says, basically, if you want to know how to live so that you're not in fear constantly, obey the government. If you obey the government, you don't have to be in fear of the government. That's a, it's a, it's a foundational thing. I learned that early on in, uh, in life. Here's a little bit of a confession time since we're in church. When I was 13, uh, I learned how to drive a car in a stolen vehicle. Okay, there it's out there. I've said it right now. So a good friend of mine had made copies of his, of his aunt's car key. And when they were done for the day, we would sneak in. We had the copy of the key. It was a Chrysler LeBaron. And we were off to cruise the neighborhoods at 13. And so, and so my dad was always surprised at 16 when he was teaching me to drive. Man, you're already good at this. I'm like, well... But I remember when we were driving, as much as that sounds fun, I remember driving, it was a constant panic. Every car, you're like, is that a cop? Is that a cop? Wait, that, that car that just passed, I think they're slowing down. I think I see lights. Quick, get out of here. Like, it was a constant fear. And some of us, that's just how we drive all the time. But I remember even when I got my driver's license later on, I remember still constantly checking in the rear view mirror because, oh, and then you'd be like reminded, oh, yeah, I'm legal now. Like, this is okay. You see, when we live within the constraints of what God has put in place through the government, you don't have reason to fear. Anybody else at a stage of life where you're starting to enjoy driving in the right lane? Or am I the only one? You're kind of like, this is kind of nice. You know, that's not to say I'm not in the left every once in a while. But, uh, but, but, there, but there's something with when you're in the constraints of what God's established, he's like, man, you don't have to be a life of fear. What's the alternative of constantly looking over your shoulder? So the second point, there will be no, 
there will be consequences if we don't submit. And then the last one is this, He's the, uh, talking about our conscience. We want a clear conscience. Verse 5, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, we just talked about that, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all who is owed to them, taxes to whom are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Basically, pointing out the last idea that subjection, only if it's only in fear of consequence, is incomplete. But the fear, the, uh, another motivator of other than external consequence is internal motivator. What does it describe there? It's for the sake of your conscience. For the sake of your conscience. You see, that might seem like a little deal, but if you've ever gone against your conscience and tried to live with that, like, oh, life is miserable. You can't get it off your heart. You can't get it out of your mind. God it does a wonderful job of, a, of a raising the, the alarms to go off in our mind when we've blown it, right? Anybody been under that? Or We're in church. Nobody has. Uh, but here, I'll share back when I was young and used to have things. But what, back to the car thing, since we're talking about illegal activity. Uh, so back, so, so this one particular time, my dad had said, hey, son, I don't want you in this part of town. You can stay over here with your friends, blah, blah, blah. So I'd done exactly the opposite, drove, driven to this part of town. Then ended up getting into a car accident, going on to an on-ramp and a car chase. It's a long story. But in this, in this story, I, I crashed the car against this railing, but I said, oh, man, then I'm going to have to go home and explain to my dad that... I was in the area I wasn't supposed to be in, and so me and my friend, listen to this, don't tell anybody, but we actually created a fake car accident scene. We said it was a hit-and-run accident, so we broke glass on the road, called the police, did a full police report. It was bad news. Then I got to go home and tell my dad, sorry, I was in a hit-and-run accident. There was nothing I could do about it, and it was this particular car that hit me. We saw this, it was a white sob, I remember this. But here, this is the part that ate me alive. Then I see my dad going out driving the neighborhoods for hours trying to find a white sob that had hit and run his son. It was eating me alive. Like it is eating me alive. Not enough to confess it, but it was eating me. <laughs> it, was eating, it was eating me alive. Like you see when our, our conscience... Our conscience, I later told him, and in fact, he was in the first service, which was kind of fun. But, uh, but, 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 but anyway, and now my wife's doing this because my son's getting ideas. But, um, but here, here's the idea, is that, that God, it's, it's a gift. It's a, it's a healthy motivator to say, I just want to have a clear conscience. I want to be able to go to bed at night. I want to be able to put my head on the pillow and not have anything between me and God. Because when our conscience is, is severed, what does it do? It severs our relationship with God. It strains our relationship with others. You see, God wants us to not have those burdens to carry on our back. That's why he says, man, it's just so much better. Just submit to authority as long as it's possible for you to submit to authority as long as it doesn't oppose me. So it's a wonderful motivator. But I find it fascinating. What does he say after that? He says, for the sake of conscience, for because of this, you also pay taxes. Out of all the things that he could have brought up as far as submitting to authority, isn't it interesting that he brings up taxes as the area that we're to submit in? 
you think about it because what's the closest to our heart, right? Our resources, our money. So he was addressing in that time, there was, it, was, it was definitely an issue. In fact, I was reading some, some different articles about it this week. They were, there was a huge uh, uh, conflict there where Jews were, were refusing to pay taxes. There was large segments of the population that just weren't doing it because of the abuse, and they felt rationalized in that. But if you think about it, it's still a present reality today. I was reading a fun article. You guys will like this one. So it was this gentleman that lived in Salem, Oregon, who believed that since he was a believer, a follower of Jesus, and we can get a picture up of this guy, he, he believed that since he was a, a Christian, he no longer had to submit to earthly governments, and so he felt it was his job to institute the king, or implement the kingdom of heaven. I'm like, all right. Well, in this kingdom, he started issuing driver's license for his kingdom, over 200 of them, passports in his kingdom. You can see on the bottom, license plates, kingdom of heaven, depart from iniquity. And, 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 so, and so he was like committed to this. In fact, that even carried over into the property that he had, his, his kingdom of heaven, that, that he said, you know what? Well, I'm not paying taxes either because that's not to my king. That's not in my kingdom. They don't have taxes in my kingdom. Well, guess what happened? The government had a different conclusion than, they, than he did. They decided, no, actually you do need to pay taxes. And so guess what happened? The kingdom of heaven was sold at auction on eBay. <laughs> and, so, and, and, and so for those of us that, that, that think that we're above the law or not having to be obligated, he's like, no, even in taxes, you need to, you need to pay what is owed. I was reading this week that out of all of the different crimes that happen, that... that, that uh, out of all the different things, the different areas, that, that, that there's more crimes with income tax than any other area. Isn't that interesting? For us, it's a, it's a pull, it's a struggle for us. But he said, nope, that's a, that's a primary way that you can submit to the government. It says, pay to all who is owed him taxes, to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Then here's the last part, and we'll conclude the, with this. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. You see, a lot of us are like, well, like the kid, I'll do it, but I'm not showing any respect to those authority. I'm going to point out, I'm going to critique, I'm going to criticize, I'm going I'm to bring to light every negative aspect of that leader's character. I'm like, no, that's not what we're called to do. Remember, here and there, this is an important piece of this. Remember, our respect may not be based on the person, but for the position that was given by God. Did you catch that? It might not be for the person, but it's the position that was given by God. In other words, as we respect and as we submit, you're saying, I'm showing respect because I remember what it said a few verses back, that he put them in authority over us. That's a powerful thing, and it takes, it, it, it take, it's, it's hard. It's hard to do that. I admit, I haven't been the, the best at that. I'd like to grow in that and be stretched in that. It takes faith to look past a person and see a loving God with a plan. It takes faith to look past the person and see a loving God that has a plan. You remember David when he was being chased by Saul? Like, man, he just kept on coming after him. And, and David never spoke ill of him. He never spoke of it because he says, this is the Lord's anointed. This is the Lord's anointed. He showed honor and respect because he understood what God's place there. Okay. I need to show appropriate honor and respect, and that's what we're called to as well. 
if you think about it, that, that faith is a, is a stretch for us, but it's understanding that God has ordained this and that he uses government as an instrument to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in people's lives. I think about this for a second. Which would you rather have in the U.S.? Self-sufficient, comfortable people, which happens when you maybe have a, a good government, or desperate people seeing their need for Christ. You think about the church in China. That's where that's the, the strongest. It, it weeds out people that are maybe on the fence. It makes you have to resolve, okay, am I in or am I not? Because I need to be in if I'm going to with, withstand the weight of what's going on around me. See, sometimes God uses the government for his purposes, and we might not get it. We might not understand. That's why it's a trust exercise. We have to release the reins to him. That doesn't mean that we, do, I mentioned this already, doesn't mean I want to see everybody out voting, everybody educated, everybody being wise with all of this. We're, we're not supposed to cower in fear, but engage for sure. But understanding that we have God who's reigning over all and he's put this in place. I want to leave just with two kind of pastoral reminders on this subject the, to, for, for those of us who are in Christ. This is two reminders, conclude with that. The first thing is this. We're not citizens of this world, and our future is secure. Some of us need to be reminded of this. You're not citizens of this world. You're, we're just passing through, and you're like, oh, that sounds hokey pokey. That sounds really weird. And you're like, yeah, it, the whole thing is. The whole thing is the reminder that like, you're, you're not part of this kingdom. It is passing. That's, that's the number one reminder. The number two reminder, I read the end of the book, and it doesn't get better at the end. In order for this earthly kingdom to wind down, things have to get pretty bad. And from what I've read, the government doesn't look so hot. Anybody else read that in Revelation? Does it look very good? The whole Antichrist thing, the mark of the beast, like some of those things. Does it seem like things get better? So for us to not be shocked by what we see around us. In fact, it might even amp us up to be like, whoa, it must be getting close because things look pretty rotten out there right now. For those of us, those are two pastoral reminders. One, you're not a citizen of, the, of this kingdom. It's passing. Two, understand that in order for it to pass, it has to get worse before it gets better. But it does get better. For us to be reminded in all of this, man, the best thing for us, we're introducing the one person that can rescue the one person that can change, the one person that can alter things, the one person that was the ultimate example of, of submission. You know, this is all about supernatural, doing things that doesn't come natural to us, things that are, are hard, but that's what God has called us to in response to our government. I pray this leads to some great conversations over lunch in life groups. I'm sure it will. Let me pray for us as we conclude. Dear Lord, thanks so much for this chance to be in your word this morning, I thank you for how you call us to be different. That the world that's watching would say, wow, I didn't see that coming. It relates to politics as well. God, I pray that you'd stretch us in this. This isn't what comes natural to us. Our, 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 our natural response is to resist and to speak out against and to, and, and to bash and to join in with everybody else. God, I I pray that you pull us out of that to be set apart. You can only do that in your power and your strength. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, I look forward to seeing you guys on Good Friday as we get a chance to see someone who lived out this call to submit to authority, amen? Have a great week. God bless you.